right. Good morning, class. Welcome to Art Eater podcast number 68. We got a really fun one for you today. So uh, by the time this goes online, it should be uh, a little bit after Halloween. So if you're listening and you're feeling some withdrawal from a spooky season, uh, this this is the podcast for you. Uh, today, we'll be talking about the upcoming uh, remakes of uh, Silent Hill 2 and Resident Evil 4. You know, so these uh, two just stalwart mainstay uh, godfather of, you know, the, the survival horror genres. They're, they're making a big return uh, in these remakes. And uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're big fans of both, both franchises and yeah, we're uh, going to have a lot of fun talking about them today. Uh, so uh, let's do a quick roll call. I'm your host, Richmond. I'm uh, the founder of Art Eater and uh, make video games for a living. Uh, my background's in animation and I'm super happy to be here with uh, my, my buddies here every every week to you know talk about art and games and all this fun stuff. All right, hey everybody, this is James Stanley, the resident fighting game expert, uh, character designer, storyboard artist, illustrator. Uh, I am always happy to be here for the Art Eater podcast and uh, I can't wait to talk about all the thoughts in my restless dreams. Uh, <laughs> regarding uh silent hill 2 remake and as well as uh resident evil 4 remake what's up everybody it's adam pleased to be here once again it's your favorite game level designer pixel artist and international taekwondo fighter ready to get sort of spooky once again discussing both silent hill and resident evil it's going to be a good one i've got a really good feeling about this but on top of that like just the fact that like we actually get to see anything from some of these ips once again in their current forms it's going to be really really cool to just like get to ingest these uh these levels of horror so to speak and also just you know since we've all you know grown as people since these other games did come out i think it will be really cool to just see how all this goes and talk about it more further so yeah this episode is going to be a banger uh stick around let's see how it goes all right. All right. So um, let's start off uh, just given let's talk about like how real quick, just real quick, not too long, how we got into these series. Like what, what was your entry point? Like like for me, I, you know, I, I played the Resident Evil since like the very first one and I, on PS1. Uh, same with Silent Hill. Like I, I loved that first game. And then I was like super stoked for the second and third one, too. So, you know, I'm, I'm just long time, long time fan of both games. I think for me, I think for me, I got introduced to them through a friend, Um, you know, because this is around the time that like, you know, Resident Evil 1 came out and I was very much like deep into fighting games to a point where I went through a period that I didn't really play a lot of different games. So I would hear about like Resident Evil and hear about Silent Hill like um, in my periphery. And I'm like, man, people really talk about these games a lot. They have to be like really good so it got to a point where i was like a little bit older um probably when arcades died i was like oh let me see what these other video games are like so i kind of like played catch up right um i initially started with resident evil 4 oh, and wow. went back oh okay. and played the first the second and the third mm-hmm. um so i had a very interesting introduction to resident evil being that i played four because four is so different um with silent hill um i i I remember playing the first one um and i I felt like man this feels like i played a movie i've never felt this way with a video game before um at least in this particular experience and then with part two um i had a much more uh intimate connection with the game not just because the main character's name is james but like you know i I had a much stronger uh connection 
to the game um, that spanned decades. Um, so I have a very strong connection to Silent Hill. So being able to play this again uh, as a cathartic uh, experience, but also just kind of pondering the idea of how it's going to be being reintroduced to it, having had my experience with the previous one. So yeah, that's how I when I got into both of those games, uh, just kind of at a very specific time where I had the time to play them and really um, absorb them. So big fan of both series. Nice. Oh man, that's so cool. One of, one of the coolest things about this is the fact that like we can find out about these you know hallmarks in just such different ways. For example, like. I actually ended up finding out about Resident Evil and Silent Hill. Like I, I knew about them just via, you know, going on the internet and looking up like what horror games or what survival horror games, what games with general kind of like scary vibes were popular. So for example, just seeing people even do like playthroughs of like Resident Evil like four and stuff like a long, long, long time ago was a thing which happened like to me. But one of the sort of ways that I got reintroduced, as I like to sort of put it, to uh, both Resident Evil and Silent Hill was through a uh, best friend of mine, James Smith. Like he goes by Kara, check his check his art out, he's great, Kara Art on Twitter and Instagram. But yeah, like he acted really sort of like reinvigorated this sort of area of my enjoyment of what survival horror is both as a genre and in its inclusion in like both games and also fictional media when we kind of we moved in together in 2016 with some other friends of ours and in the flat in which we lived we would often have these lengthy discussions about like games of the of the time and games which we were intrigued by and stuff and he also was just massively into um, Shinji Mikami's work but also would really 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 be hyped whenever we talk about like Akira Yamaoka and like mm. his music his music having such like a massive influence both on my friend and then eventually on me too was a big part of what actually actively got me so invested in like just the world of Silent Hill but I ended up doing like a sort of big deep dive actually into both Silent Hill like two and three like a while back and I did a like a big sort of like two week stint where I just like watched hella like gameplay and like just listened to a bunch of people's reviews took a bunch of like copious amounts of like notes and was just really intrigued with respect to like how it is that they were able to build such an in interesting world with the resources that they had and also one which actively was you know memorable to people in a in a way that allowed for it to stand the test of time as today. So I mean, like, yeah, to um answer the question of like how I got into it, literally just because of like random YouTube videos at first, forgot about it for years, and then just like the the excitement of a of a very close friend is what brought both of these things to the the forefront for me, uh, both creatively and also like I guess just commercially as well because i ended up buying later on the uh, resident evil 2 remake uh, game as well and i played that and had a right. brilliant time with that as well so that was a that was a thing yeah okay i, I just want to ask real quick so what was like the first survival horror game that you paid, played because you know like you, you're you a bit younger than me but so for my generation it's it's, it's usually like either silent hill or resident evil like for, for, for the older millennials out there but uh what was it for you I'm thinking about it right now, and honestly, I would either probably say Dead Space, mm. or, or I would probably say, but okay, so Dead Space, um, to me at least, anyway, it was like a huge, huge deal back when I first saw it. Dead Space came out in like 08, I think, and like, that was like a really big deal. I didn't actually end up, I didn't play that game but what i did end up playing like a chunk of through both friends and a demo disc shout out to when those existed uh dead space 2 um back in 2011 
that was like yeah 11 years ago and like i had a massive just enjoyment and like sort of this um this obsession as if you could put it that way i guess uh, with dead space 2 i was so so into that game i really and truly like just loved everything about the way it sounded the way it felt like just isaac's grunts and groans when he was doing certain stuff like the effects with respect to like stomping on like the necromorphs all that stuff was was awesome and like i never really got to experience a lot of other games myself and my own because again i had the whole like hey my parents were like hey you're not having this thing and i was like can i have this thing though and they were like no you can have this other thing because like this is like the correct age for you but also you cannot have this thing so naturally that would only spur me on to go to, to go and be like all right cool yo certain friend at certain house like let's run this up i got dead space here let's play it or you've got mm-hmm. dead space do you know what I mean? So just uh, just doing it like sort of like the sly sideways around the back kind of way. But yeah, like watching um, YouTube playthroughs of things was like a massive part of that, like of those formative, I guess, years online. Because I mean, like I'd spent from like, I guess like 05 to like, I guess now, like on YouTube basically. And I really spent a large chunk of like 2008 to 2012, especially that period of, of time, that four year chunk, just so, so, so online in like video game spaces. So I think I kind of like vicariously kind of like lived through lots of like Let's Players. But like I always knew about a lot of these. Again, we could talk about, you know, the the Bioshocks of the of the world, you know, we talk about, of course, The Last of Us being like a huge deal with respect to its survival, like horror, like narratives and stuff like that as well. They like outlast all, all of these games that people spoke about and, you know, had massive, um, had massive, ha- the games that had massive impacts like on them. Like, yeah, like I, uh, I sort of just, I, I glommed onto that on the side in a sense and it sort of really helped me in my understanding of like games and, was again like as you guys know here like the last of us was a huge part of why i even went on to become an actual game developer and designer and i went to the same university as shout out peter field level designer on the last of us one who worked at naughty dog like i ended up going to that university and meeting him specifically because of that game and i was like hey like i want to do like what you did like in this so like just go into the front of his lectures and stuff like that and be like okay when he would come into guest lecture sit at the front ask a million questions and then be like hey like I'm here like for this thing, for you, for this one area of like game design and development. And then, yeah, like I got much more into other aspects and areas of like survival horror later. Like I ended up taking a good like look into Silent Hill, of course, but even just talking about as we did with uh, Ragnar last year, shout out to that Halloween episode, but uh, Darkwood just over this past year, looked into that, had a really good look at the way that that game is, how it works. Just the fact that it was able to posit this beautifully nihilistic survival horror world but at the same time had a really intriguing take on this really sort of terrible um on on this really terrible free roaming world you know like this uh day by day ever-changing world that sort of like forces you to like hide at the same time but then when you can explore it it's actively trying to you know harm you and scare you like it yeah just all of the ways that those vibes and all of the ways that those games sort of like, I guess, just influenced and like got into my creative psyche. I can attribute like a lot of that to just like I said before, Dead Space back in the day. So that was kind of like the first one that really sort of got my my attention like in an organic way, just from you know me finding it, not anyone showing it to me, but me looking at it and sort of it finding me, so to speak. So yeah, I'd say, I'd say Dead Space. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Super scary. Yeah, to, to loop it back to the games uh, on the menu today. Um, 
I think like just about every title you, you mentioned there, uh, including Dead Space, like all of them have been influenced by Silent Hill or Resident Evil to some degree, probably. Of course. Like these two series have cast such like a huge shadow over uh, the whole, you know, horror video game genre. Um, so yeah, let's let's get into it. Let's get into the these remakes. That's uh, so you know, there's there's Silent Hill two, probably the most uh, universally praised um and critically acclaimed of all uh survival horror games sure. and, then, and then resident Absolutely. evil 4 uh the turning point right in the resident evil series where it kind of became uh, as much of an action series uh, as horror yeah. but also ended up pretty much becoming the most influential three action game of the, the last you know 15 years right because there, there's no gears of war uh, there's there's basically like no cover shooters without resident evil 4 first. no yeah so mm. so which one which which one do we get into first? Let's let's start I with Silent Hill. I was going to say let's get Yeah, let's just run that one. Yeah, um, I, I think I think there's something about that game that is, uh, while very harsh in some of its subject matter and what it's uh, expressing to the player. Um, one of the things in comparison to a lot of other survival horror games, and it's not a it's not like a diss to any of those games, is that there was a somewhat of a subtlety with Silent Hill 2 that made you think more about the, uh, at least for me, the psychological, like horror. Um, oh, that, that's what it's know. known for. Yeah, like yeah, that, that was not in the gaming vernacular until the very first Silent Hill came out. Right, like yeah. And that, that's and not to like, say like earlier games didn't attempt that, you know, like they, right. they were uh, freaky games before Resident Evil, right? Like like Alone in the Dark and stuff, uh, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. Clock Tower and the SNES, uh, Super Famicom, yeah. but but Silent Hill was the one that really like just brought it to the, the a wider audience, I would say. Yeah. yeah, I think I think for a lot of people it was probably their first time dealing with that type of experience uh, with a game. And I, it, it, for me, it helps me, it puts it, for me, I put it in, in a high regard because of that, uh, because it got me to uh, think about things that I normally don't think about when I'm playing a video game. Um, and it really pulled me into the world and into the, to the character of James Sunderland, who is the main character. Um, who's trying to uh, figure out a mystery about, you know, his his dead um, wife, uh, Mary or Maria, depending well, on, you know, like, <laughs> I don't want to like necessarily. I mean, just the premise. The premise is so elegant. It's just one of the yeah. most uh, perfect video game or just general storytelling premises ever right the this man receives a letter from his dead wife it's impossible yeah. right that it could be from her and yet it is mm -hmm. so convincing you know yes that that it leads him to this town that's that's the, great what a the way town. the way that you're introduced to the story and then introduced to this town um it's done in in such a a simple way but mm. it's very like you accept it in terms of the way that it's presented to you, which obviously has a lot to do with the performances of the uh, the voice actor. Uh, I believe his name is Guy Sihi or Sai Chihi, who uh, did the voice acting for James Sunderland. 
um, and Maria was, uh, I believe, Monica Horgan. Um, there's something to be said about these performances that in the original game, they really struck a chord with me. Um, you know, James Sunderland is definitely a man. He is a grown man. Uh, but there are times that there are aspects of his personality that maybe you wouldn't know right away that kind of like come out in these specific moments. Um, there's a lot of like almost childlike uh, vulnerability when he's speaking to Maria. You know, like there's uh, a this... real quick. Um, are are we going to get into spoilers? I didn't, I think we didn't really oh, discuss so, that. So, this is, so, so this we is should give a right? warning to our listeners too. I right? think we should. Yeah. So, well, we should first of all, first of all, uh, uh, Adam, have are are you okay with discussing spoilers or? or... Yeah, I'm all good with it. I'm I'm all okay. good with it. Okay. Yeah. okay, yeah. okay. I, it, it's only good that we we get that out of the way because there's going to be people who've never played Silent Hill two before. Yeah. Um, but the game is, you know, for, for lack of a better word, it's a very old game. Um, and I feel like even if we tell you what happens, yeah, the experience is is so different than like us telling you and for you to actually go through what you need to go through to find out it is such it's such a particular experience that like us telling you really isn't going to like affect it so just be warned that yeah at this point in the podcast we definitely are going to probably talk about more intricate aspects to the okay. game so just be forewarned you, you know what? you know i i would liken it to um i actually watched psycho uh the, the alfred hitchcock classic for the first time oh man like oh, uh. like one or two years ago yeah, so I'd heard about it my whole life. I already knew the big plot twists and stuff. But man, when you see it, it's still like deeply disturbing. Yeah. And I, oh. I, the whole time I was thinking like, I, I I can't believe like how terrifying this is. Like I didn't know movies from back then could be like this freaky, you know, and this mm-hmm. unsettling. And I was like, wow, okay, I see why this was uh, such a big deal. It still has all the impact that it had. And um, I that a lot of people would feel that way if they went and played Silent Hill 2 for the first time, even yeah. after playing every, you know, every up-to-date super modern high-tech game. Yeah. 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 So the thing that I, that I was going to mention again is uh, you really, you go on a journey with James Sunderland in this game. Um, and I, I feel like, it's something that, again, you know, not relying on necessarily the stereotypical like visual tropes of like gore and violence um, in the way that some other games do. I feel like Silent Hill really just it makes you feel um, things that you wouldn't normally think you could feel from a controller and from <laughs> like uh, from from the atmospheric music uh, by Akira Yamaoka. Um, and oh, I mean, the sound design is so the sound design so good. It's it's mm. incredibly specific, and yeah. um, you know, I, I feel like those things alone um, on technical merit are incredibly immersive. Yeah, uh, and uh, also, got to give a shout out to Masahiro Ito, the uh, yes. art, one of the art directors. Mm-hmm. You know, he yes. did so much. Uh, just today, you know, um, someone was like trying to uh, correct people on Twitter. There was some drama over people 
kind of they, they've been tweeting at him about like fan theories arguing with him that their fan theories are right and he's wrong like arguing with the art director and someone was like yeah. well he was he was only the creature designer and he was like no excuse me like i was the art director i did like you know help on the characters the creatures i even animated the creatures did the backgrounds i helped write the game like this was a close-knit team like they can all speak team silent can speak authoritatively on their you know their creation right so, yeah, so Masahiro yeah, Ito like really big deal incredible yeah. art director just there was never a game quite like this before and you know he drew a lot on stuff like uh Jacob's Ladder and I don't know um like like uh um D D Damien Hurst and like uh the painters and stuff but but he it, it, it was very much his own style synthesized through all these different like uh influences but like silent hill has a very very distinct identity and it's largely in part uh from his art direction kira yamaoka's amazing music also uh takeyoshi sato's cg right Taki he, he was the cg yes. director also basically equivalent of an art, art director and he oh my gosh like he was i think it's fair to say like he was one of the best cg artists in the world at the time he was a pioneer at how to create uh convincing people in 3d like if, if you look at so um so, sorry to go on this tangent <laughs> i'll try to wrap it up quickly but no we're all here for this tangent. takayoshi sato uh in the first game right he worked on the first silent hill he did all of the cutscenes by himself that means like every single pre-rendered cutscene on that that little cd uh, was all him he designed the characters he modeled them rigged them textured them lit them animated them he's not an animator by the way he's an oil painter who taught himself how to model and then forced himself to animate because no one else could do it and the reason he did this was he he was very self-motivated he was the best cg artist at konami um, and then he still had people above him who were coming to him for advice uh and then getting all the credit for his work. And then he was like, you know, this is messed up. Like, just let me do everything. <laughs> he went to his bosses and he was like, look, I can do everything. I, I'm not being arrogant. Like, I'm just simply the best suited person for this. Like, I, you know, like it wasn't that he didn't want to share credit. It was like just that literally everything was falling on him. And he was just like, screw it. Like, I will literally just do everything. And he basically like lived at the studio for a year and did all of the cg by himself and if you look at it silent hill that came out in what 98 99 yeah um, if you compare the quality of the cg in that to toy story 2 not even the first one toy story 2 where they took all the learnings of the first movie yes. and it was one of the highest budget it was the biggest budget cg movie in the world at the time ever silent hill one has aged way better it's just one dude and it's because he just brought it. I mean, it was the Wild West back then. You didn't have like tons of tutorials. You couldn't hop on YouTube and learn how to do this. People were just yeah. figuring stuff by themselves. And um, he just approached CG with like this really strong fine arts foundation. And I think that's why like his stuff is just so solid. He was just, he wasn't thinking like, oh, you know, like uh, he wasn't thinking like, he wasn't letting the form drive how he made the people look. He had a vision of what the people looked like. And then he made the form, you know, this early CG software work towards that. And, oh, man, what a legend. So, like, just Team Silent, 
so so many amazing people and i mean i think we didn't even um name the uh, the director uh i think it was ki ki toyama I, I believe is the yes. director yeah and uh, just amazing team sorry just just legendary team just what what they did on on those games is still reverberates today just incredible yeah okay. um I, I i think one of the things that you know i i think about when i think about this game especially when you're talking about like the cg um the technology served the art that was pouring from uh ito i think uh I think that that's, you know, a lot of people say you could look at that and say, oh, that's a really simple statement. But um, if left unchecked creatively, sometimes people uh, end up going in reverse and they get so caught up in the technical aspects of, of, of things. And whereas when you have a vision and you're you're pushing toward that vision and that's the focus, um, you get things uh, like Silent Hill, and uh, you know one of the things that I really did like, uh, you know, from a visual standpoint, is the designs of uh, the the CG um, characters in the cutscenes. Uh, I felt like there was like a a nuanced feeling to the way they animated, the way they talked, the way they looked, especially for the time that this originally came out. Um, it says something to be able to achieve a certain aesthetic in 3D back then because you know much like what Richmond is saying it was the wild west there was no tutorials that people could just grab and just kind of like emulate it was i need to figure out how to do this with the skill set that i have and i need to kind of go through arduous amounts of trial and error to convey what it is that i'm looking to convey and um you know i i to this day i still love the look of those cutscenes, the timing of those cutscenes, the way that they felt, um, you know, and mini tangent, you know, I'm not going to go into too much detail about Resident Evil 4, but um, this also ties into the look of Leon in that game. I cannot think of a 3D game at that time that was able to capture the essence of a Bichonin character design in 3D and look that good at that time. Um, so it's another example of like when someone's vision uh, is passionately being like attempted, you know, what's what's possible, um, you know, and, and again, I mean, I feel the same way with uh, with Silent Hill 2, um, you know, the the CG for that time and that 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 era is it's extremely beautiful, even to this day, you know, I go back and I look at them and I'm like, wow, like, you know, they have like a distinct look and feel to them that just I don't know it's 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 appealing and I feel like it's very uh, fitting for what the story and the narrative was. Yeah, oh man, oh man. Okay, so 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 shall we get into the the remakes? <laughs> let's do it. Yeah, let's, let's get into it. the remake. Okay, let's get into the remake. So, so one of the things that I okay. I noticed was there's definitely uh a different visual aesthetic um you know things are definitely bumped up to uh look look you know a bit more articulated um the environment design um you know i, I feel like there's a lot of work that went into uh you know making the game look better visually um i i do that think better however, is a strong 
yeah that was what yeah <laughs> yeah like i was <laughs> like higher tech maybe like more yeah. detailed yeah <laughs> um i i don't mean this as like a, a negative on the game um and i hope that people don't take this this way um but i do feel that maybe there is something that is a little lost on the new models and the new uh look of the game uh it's not that it looks bad but there's something in terms of its character or its flavor that is missing. Um, so it is a different look than what the original game is, but it looks like it's attempting to achieve a similar feeling, but uh, it definitely does not look the same uh, in that sense. There are things that they're gleaning from it that I think are interesting. Uh, I think color direction wise, there's, there's an attempt to create that same palette, but there's something, I don't know if it's like a mathematical thing. Like, I'm not sure like what it is, but like, it's not quite the same. Uh, something about James's hair uh, is like highly saturated, much like what the game is. If people really look back on the original, original Silent Hill, but there's something about it that feels like it's not, it's not in the same synergy that it needs to be yet. Um, and again, this is like a working, work in progress. You know, they're still working on the game, so I'm sure that things may be tuned up from now until release. But there's definitely a feeling of, wow, these neighborhoods looks, looks great, but like, what about, there's something about this that's not quite where I thought it would be. Mm. Yeah, I, I gotta be honest with you. So I, I saw like a screenshot comparing uh, the iconic shot of James looking in the mirror from the remake. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I just, I, I didn't watch the trailer after that. I, I actually have not watched the trailer. I was just like, you know what? Like, this is not for me. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I wish him well. Like, um, it's, it's, it's a great looking game. It's beautiful in its own right. Uh, the graphics are very good. The artists are definitely very, very talented. Um, I, yeah, it's awesome that they got Masahiro Ito back and uh, Kira Yamaoka might be doing some new music. That that could be really cool. But um, it just struck me that like uh, the technical know-how is there, but I, I, I don't feel like they really grasp, and I, I'm such an asshole for saying this based off of one screenshot, but um, I could just immediately tell like they are going for a totally different tone and I, I don't know if it's going to work because in the original um the whole point of the story is that james is like really really repressed right and he is like deeply out of touch with his inner turmoil uh, yes. even though it's and that's what's driving him nuts and it's not that he's like totally unemotive or anything but in the new one they they seem to be going for like like uh you know, Oscar-winning performance. He's just like yeah. overflowing with emotion. You you could feel the misery and regret and anguish coming off of him. And I I think unless they're going in a totally different direction, right? Which would be cool. Like if they they're doing something new, if they're doing a different character, then sure that works. But if they're doing a remake, that is like the opposite 
of that character like it's so yeah mark um yeah and and i also it also kind of comes off as if it's as if they're telling too much um you know i watched the trailer and um there's definitely a scene in the beginning that is i feel like if you if you have half of a brain it's already implying that James has done something wrong. And I don't know if that's something that you should show or like imply so early. Uh, because one of the things that was so interesting was about the way that the story is being presented to you in the original. Um, you know, you know that you're dealing with somebody who might not be in touch with like certain aspects of self-awareness, but you know, in terms of like, what was underneath the visage like you learn that later um whereas i feel like in the new trailer they they kind of like telegraph it to you um and i and i'm not sure how i feel necessarily about that i mean like i said this is a new audience that's going to be playing it so you know maybe this is something that they feel will work but the final act of silent hill 2 is a it's like a oh man it's a culmination of a lot of things and you feel that for James Sunderland, but you feel that as an empathetic player also, um, regardless of where you are on your moral compass, like you, you still empathize, empathize with this moment of like clarity that he has where he's just like, well, this is what I need to do now. And I think by playing some of those cards a little early, um, I don't know if that's like a, I don't know if that's the right decision, um, you know. And and again, I mean, I'm 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 happy for more people to play Silent Hill and to know Silent Hill. But these are like there are concerns that come up. And you know, just to kind of touch base on the the thing that you were saying, Richmond, about that iconic scene with him in the mirror. No, that's a very important scene. It sets a very particular tone. So seeing that scene and seeing that the lighting is different and seeing that it's conveying like a different emotion. I mean, that draws a lot of concern, especially for someone who has played original Silent Hill too. Um, because, you know, that's a scene that, you know, you're kind of introduced to James that way. Um, so yeah, like, I don't blame you for having some feelings about that where you're just like, well, wait a minute. Like, you know, what are you, what are you actually doing with this scene? Yeah. So I, I'm not like, it's not like oh it's not what i remember it's like well it makes me question if you if you realize like why the original was effective <laughs> that's what i'm concerned yeah. about <laughs> I, I don't need like a perfect recreation um and in fact like i think remakes should kind of like try to do their own thing more because i i don't there's yeah. not much of a point in just making the graphics like more high def but at the same time like any changes seem to be stemming from not wanting to dig into what makes Silent Hill unique and then wanting to turn it into uh, something more typical. That, that, that's that's my, my concern there. You know, because there's a lot of stuff about the original where like, um, it just, it's very unsettling and it's, it's intentionally uncanny, uh, which is a really fine, yeah. it's a difficult line to walk, right? Especially in the PS2 era. Right, because a lot of people, even at the time, even now, looking back on it, they're like, "Oh, oh, you know, maybe it was that way because of the technical limitations." You know, like, "Oh, he's unexpressive because you know the technical limitations of face rigs and 
but it's like no no because there are other characters in the game that are very expressive I mean, there's yes where, almost explosively yeah, ex explosive anger and the, it's very convincing and in fact they kind of innovated on face rigs and like implying you know muscles pulling other muscles and like very very high fidelity naturalistic faces james in particular though like he's supposed really? to be un un uncanny like 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 that scene where he's looking at the mirror like he's just so blank and then he just says he does that weird thing with his hand <laughs> like yes like a claw <laughs> and yeah it's, yeah it's not bad animation it's it's unsettling and then by the time you're done with the game there's so many things where you're like oh that's perfect like that's james like i i get i get who he is now and and even that is like really interesting right like how many video games kind of commit to letting you pilot this person that you don't know that well <laughs> and that's actually what the game yeah. is about right like they don't they don't need you to i mean you already feel empathy because of the the setup is so compelling and then you know you're 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 piloting him, you're controlling him, so you 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 will kind of care for him just by osmosis, right? Like yeah. when he gets hit, you get hit. When he's scared, you're running too. You're commanding him to run. Yeah. But like, you don't really know what makes him tick until like well into the game, and 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 finding that out is like what makes it powerful. And I, yeah, I don't know. I just it. They, I feel like they're just getting to the emotion too quickly. I guess. Yeah. yeah, I think there's something to be said about the journey that you have with a character. And I think that there's a certain sensitivity that I think uh, creators should have or developers should have where, you know, you really want to make sure that you're not disrupting that, especially when uh, that journey is such a, a specific experience with Silent Hill too. So um because you definitely go through this idea of like thinking that this person uh has like a certain moral uprightness to them uh and then you know when you discover what it is that happens with him you know for some people that might be a crossroads or like well i i i hate him for what he did uh whereas there may be people that are kind of in a gray matter where like well i kind of understand why he, i don't condone what he did but like you know, I understand it. So going on that journey with that character in the game, um, it's important for you to sort of go down the roads that you need to go down to get to this point, at least within the original. So it seems like they're trying to contest with that and maybe uh, kind of speed that up, so to speak. So I'm not really sure um, what that experience will be like with the remake. Um, and then there's also... The performances, again, I, I, I go a lot by the original performances that I experienced with the game. Um, I feel that the performance for James Sunderland, at least in the trailer, is, uh, is a bit more linear. It's a bit more obvious uh, that this person is like bogged down with melancholy. Uh, whereas in the beginning, you know, you kind of feel like you're dealing with this like mentally listless person. Yeah. You know, you don't really know what to expect. Like you're, yeah. you're like, well, they want to find out something, but we don't even know why they really want to find out something outside of like that base premise of you can't, it's impossible for me to get a letter from my dead wife. So you're more focused on like that aspect of it. You know, we're not realizing that, you know, the, what the real reason is until like much, much later. Um, and I know you haven't watched the trailer, but if you watch the trailer, 
uh, man, um, <laughs> he goes into that restroom and, you know, just the way that things are staged, you're just like, holy shit, man. They, they're, they're, they're throwing the big guns right at the beginning without showing it. You, you feel it where you're just like, oh, he, he definitely did something he wasn't supposed to do. Yeah. And it's just like, wait, no, don't, you know, like that's, we don't, we don't want to know that that early. It's a trailer too. Like it's not even like, you know, like initial cutscene in the game. You know, it, it probably is, but like the way it's being presented to the viewer, I feel like people already kind of have an idea that like James did something awful. You know, I don't know if you should know that yet. <laughs> you know, like it's a weird sort of uh, decision. Um, you know, yeah. I, I mean, maybe they'll do something interesting with it. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping. I mean, that's the hope, right? Yeah, <laughs> that's the hope. I mean, I think, I think, knowing me, because of my love for Silent Hill Two, I'll probably still play the game just because I'm curious to see what it is that they try to do. Um, and how they orchestrate uh, certain things because I feel like the the game itself is interesting enough to go down that path again to be like okay well let me I want to see how they're handling this you know Konami seems to be confident in what they're trying to do uh, I'm interested in Yamaoka's new music you know I'm interested in what Ito is bringing to this game uh, you know I I do hope I do hope that they're 3 a.m. conversations about animation with these people at Bluebird. I do think I I hope that like there's something that can be said where they understand like there's a certain nuance to why people move the way they did in the original Silent Hill 2. And I hope that they can kind of make a better attempt at what that is. Yeah. Um you know that's just my hope. Yeah. Let's let's hear from Adam. Yeah, okay, great. So um yeah, so I was just having a read on the PlayStation blog. I'll drop a link in the chat as well. But I was, having, I was just having a read, and yeah, they've in essence just been really focusing on the idea of like a new chapter beginning. So, for example, they've said here uh, at the end of this interview, they said that we will create like new games for the series together with those who are part of Silent Hill, but also with creators who love the franchise will expand our partnerships and broaden the world of Silent Hill together with teams that love the series from around the globe but above all together with longtime Silent Hill fans and new fans to be we will raise the Silent Hill series to new heights but they also said that the revival of the series does not like end with Silent Hill 2 like itself however like they've mentioned throughout this um developer interview period I suppose they've, they've talked about like the idea of just like the classic returning like a new so they've just very specifically said here like with with regard to Silent Hill 2 being such like a beloved and timeless classic that they didn't want to sort of like dive too deeply into like the idea of like cliche, but they wanted for Bluebird team to actively sort of like reinvigorate and like renew areas of like what made it interesting. So for example, like the producer, actually Konami's producer, uh, Matoya Okamoto said that like when it came to sort of like reviving like Sound Hill, like the most important thing to them, they wanted to make it with people who they thought like loved the series. And that's why a big part of them, it's, it's, it's a big part of why is that they wanted to be sort of like, I guess, silent for many years, as, as I said here. But like during that, they received a lot of like new proposals for like new entries and remakes and things like that. And it sort of reminds me of the fact that like, they're very much taking a focus toward like reimagining, obviously, because of you know when you're remaking a thing 21 years after you after the original, of course you're going to want to add in new bits of like spice and new ideas and all sorts of things like that. But I think and hope that they can actively like 
preserve so much of what made it so special in the first place. Like, as you mentioned here, like showing and sharing parts of like thematic and important story elements kind of like early on to like new people, it kind of like removes mystique in one way, but it sort of, it sort of makes me double think now and be like, do they really have something that's like so like new and amazing with regard to like the story imply itself that they would feel comfortable showing like prior elements of like the plot that's so integral that you might not want to find out so early. Like, do, are they going to really change something massive or are they just going to be super confident with respect to how it is that they want to <clears throat> like show you know the, the world and and it also makes me think about later on in the uh interview as well they talk about the idea of you know changing things with respect to its visuals it's you know, new ue5 features that like allow for the game to really shine most notably being like lumen and nanite systems with respect to you know raising graphical quality and also adding to like realistic or highly detailed and realistic levels and sort of like turning on the game's like signature like nerve-wracking elements as, as high as they possibly can with respect to you know the the newness of the visuals and how is it things can be you know lit via like global illumination a variety of different things but just thinking about how it is that they want to make it like look so specifically and i i just think that i i really hope that um i hope that it goes well obviously but i, I just really think that with respect to how it is that we have so many awesome tools at our disposals today as developers it's just really intriguing to me to think and see these people talk so confidently you know because i mean like this is a big ip to the handle and it's not as if you can just throw just anything at it and be like okay well th this this will be just fine like people are going to be talking about this game should it do like well again for like a really long time especially with regard to how large ips already so i mean like i really hope that they're handling all of the all the pressure of this well but i also hope that they are able to as if one as i said here like reinvigorate and make things intriguing in like new ways that people haven't seen before for example i even just read that they were obviously talking about things that they want to do with respect to dual sense controllers like adding it and, you know, and utilizing like you know haptic feedback and like, adaptive triggers, bringing in new ideas for Silent Hill 2 that could just allow for people to feel like immersed like in that different way. Although at the same time as well, I read in here that they are kind of like working on overdoing the the overall combat system. It says here one change brings another. With a new perspective, we're rebuilding the combat system and certain set pieces among other things. So they're very specifically talking about like changing something and rebuilding it from the ground up. So I think that that'll be quite a big, uh, quite a big set of changes, especially with regard to like the leap in technology that we've seen, obviously from you know 2001 to 2022. So I just personally hope, obviously one that this all does go well, but like they're buying off like a lot to chew and it's not just going to be a very sort of like technical oh hey does this does this fog look more like immersive quote-unquote than it did 20 years ago like there are very real um implement there are very real um implications uh, with respect to like changing like the story and people will react to that in a very like visceral way like just as we talked about earlier you know with people actively and actually telling you know ito what it is that they think about like the story and how it kind of went to them and positing that as like the true and active actual way that things are as opposed to like the the actual like creators like you know involvement and stuff and i, I just really hope that this doesn't like reignite uh a set of unfortunate circumstances regarding like i guess just fan slash developer like relations as well because i was just thinking about this earlier myself like you know it's a completely different landscape that we exist on like now as opposed to 20 years 21 years ago but also 
with respect to how it is that people view and understand games or how it is that people think that they view and understand games it's also just a really big deal that people can even you know get to do that you know that they that we can talk to people the actual developers and creators who made things 20 years ago that we can just we at nowadays you know it's just really interesting to think about that too but yeah I, I just really hope that they can capitalize on the um wealth of you know experience that they've all got as you know creators and developers of course they have like Ito on the team they have Yamoka on the team they have a bunch of other very talented people over at Blue Bram Shore and other people of course at Konami working super hard to direct them and make sure that they're also doing what it is that they need to do but yeah I just really hope that this um that this goes well because this is like a hallmark of like a genre that I'm very like interested in and I really just hope that, like, it doesn't turn people, like, off should anything, like, awry, you know, go down. I just really want for it to be, like, a new experience that doesn't necessarily have to harken back to the the older one exactly. But I just want for them to do it justice, both for themselves as developers now and also for, like, the memory of a past thing that was, like, you know, life-changing for many people. It's a very hard and difficult balance to strike, especially regarding, like, such a an important IP for so many. And I just want for that to be done just to the best of their ability and i'm sure they will but let's just see how it goes that's how i sort of think and feel about this yeah yeah i i can't imagine a more difficult game to be tasked yeah. to remake like this Absolutely. is the, the hardest remake assignment you could get because um uh i i actually i think that that that's it just occurred to me comparing um the silent hill remake to resident evil 4 Right, like uh, I'm sure we'll kind of have a much more optimistic we'll, we'll outlook on that. that. We'll get into that, but I, I just they're they're very different games, and it's um, Silent Hill Two is so beloved um, as a story, as a story game, as a as a narrative game, you know, and um, I mean it's so timeless, like it's so powerful because every element came together like so well that to me like it doesn't need a remake right like it doesn't need a remake any more than than psycho needed a remake in the 90s and yeah right remember what happened with that right the um yeah it was uh who was the director it was a pretty respected director uh gosh the, drawing a blank let me google that real think quick. Who... psycho remake director it was gus van Sant. I mean, he is a oh, yeah, critical right, darling, yeah. right? Oh, so yeah. Yeah. And he went on to have a when very that, successful yeah. career, you know, after that, too. But uh, when he remade Psycho in 1998, huge expectations. And um, funny enough, I think one of the biggest criticisms was like, well, it adhered so closely to the source. What was the point? <laughs> right. So, right. so that's what you run into when you remake a classic. And uh, it's especially interesting for games because for most games, um, you do gamers do tend to look forward to like oh like improved graphics, quality of life features, you know e even better combat. But like that doesn't apply to Silent Hill Two, <laughs> right? Like no one cares if the combat is yeah. improved uh, in Silent Hill Two, like because the game just was so perfect in its controls, its tone, every element. Right? It, it was just like only that group of people in the whole world could have made a game quite like that at that time and it's just such a great time capsule um so yeah i just that is the most difficult game you could ask anyone to remake it really is yeah. um i think i think it's also like sort of a creative crossroads because it's like 
how do you know when to basically stay in line with what the original source material is and then how do you know to uh when to add or to complement like uh what's already there so i mean those are really difficult decisions for for anybody but especially something as beloved as like silent hill 2 is yeah you really yeah that's a hard those are some big shoes to fit that, that that is you're stuck between a rock and a hard place like damned if you do yeah because if you adhere to the original people will be like well what was the point and if you change it inevitably like a lot of people like me <laughs> We'll be complaining about it right away. Yeah, but I don't know. The more we talk about it, the more I feel like okay, like I, I, I wish you know, give it a chance, right? Because maybe between those two options, and I'm, there's many more. I'm, I'm just being real binary right now. But uh, between those those two worst case scenarios, I'd much rather that they just try to do something different, and maybe it'll you know piss off some fans, but it'll at least be different. And then if they can put their mark yeah. on it, then it might actually be good. Yeah. 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 I mean, and that's the thing that I'm thinking about is like, you know, I know the journey that I went through playing as James Sunderland in the original. Yeah. Um, but I also know that like, you know, if this game does something different, I'll remember that like in a good way. Right. Like, so there's a, a curiosity to me to see what it is that they want to express within this remake. You know, what is it that they want to do? Like, it's not that I'm going to agree with, like, every creative decision, right? Like, you know, I when I watched the trailer, I was like, you're, you're telling too much, like, already. Like, that was my initial response. But there could be a reason for that, you know, because maybe there's something else that they want to express. Maybe there's another element to um, Sunderland's sort of, like, comeuppance uh, that he experiences where, like, you know, maybe there's something they're trying to do with that where there's a different aspect of accountability um yeah. that they want the character to experience so I, I do think that there's room for um something here where it's like oh wait that is an interesting interpretation that is an interesting direction so uh for me like you know i have my concerns but i also i think my curiosity is strong enough that you know i'm gonna play it um when it comes out and uh definitely have some things to say in terms of comparison i mean <clears throat> i'm very attached to the voice acting in the original um so that's also going to be a thing that like i got to kind of work through you know what i mean but at the same time like i'm sure that the performances in this game will be what they need to be for that particular experience and to accept them for what they actually are in that regard is something that yeah. i think will help people who have played the original much like myself so in a way, I'm looking forward to seeing like how they handle the assignment. You yeah. know, like that's that's kind of where my my head is, regardless of whatever concerns I have in comparison to the original. Yeah, I just want to close that really really quickly with just uh, one more thing here. Like in the actual interview that I just was reading again, it really struck me whilst you were saying that, James, that they said here we're confident that we can do justice to this cult classic and breathe a new life into its gameplay. The end result will be a Silent Hill game that looks and sounds better than anything that has come before it. So like that's a it's a very large promise because like what constitutes better varies between you know like lots of different people's right. minds, and I think that I really just don't want for them to fall into like the kind of trap slash hole of just thinking like a better visual is just better in and of 
of itself. Do you know what I mean? Like a, a more modern, updated visual in a sense, you know? Like there are lots and lots and lots of things and, and IPs and all sorts of just bits of media from like many many years ago that are still like stunning to think about so i just don't want them to think that you know the idea of like chronological sort of like improvement over you know time is a thing that was that kind of like locks the idea of like just a betterness in terms of you know the quality of portraying and positing like an idea you know that we we still research and look into you know old texts we watch old films we watch we listen to old music all, all time because like it it's it's newness isn't what constitutes its singular better if that makes sense like that that's one thing that i really want to just sort of hammer home just to make sure that people have a think about that too because like whilst of course like yeah like they want for it to sound like better because like they want for it to be you know something that people can you know, buy and have fun with and that, that they can utilize to make like names for themselves even as well via this uh, older ip that they're you know rejuvenating that they're breathing new life into in their own words with respect to this being such a cult classic but uh i really just want to just <clears throat> once again just say like when something wants to be better than anything that's come before it like the idea of better mixed with like newness and more so a recency. I think that we often fall into the idea of like a recency bias too. And obviously, you know, like we do, we, we do have massively improved technology with respect to how it is that we do literally everything now compared to 21 years ago. You know, t telling someone how to 3D model 21 odd years ago and how we 3D model today, the, the tools which we have access to just are so vastly different and we can achieve results currently now with regard to modeling even the most you know sort of like rudimentary of things we we can change how it is that that's even been viewed and been done now on like on, on a dime you know as opposed to like just so long ago but yeah I, I just think that a lot of the time we shouldn't just link that in and of itself to the idea of like betterness the pursuit of betterness comes through the fruits of like hard labor but also it comes through like the idea of wanting to try something new because it comes through you know those internal personal deeply personal intricate experiences that we have as human beings not just you know it's it's this year and tech is better now that's why it's better you know like i think that's a really important thing to think about when anyone makes anything when when any of us look at our sketches that we do you know a year ago from, from looking at our old sketches and looking at sketches that we do today from the writing that the that, that someone might do from the singing that someone might do from even for example just something like as simple as like you know how it is that you feel from day to day you know do you feel better than you did yesterday and then what does betterness mean to you you know like all of these things are deeply important when we review and think about media and i just want that to be something that the listeners think about too as well yeah yeah so i'm gonna end this uh silent hill portion with a parallel that i think might resonate with some of you uh, MF Doom, um, Operation Doomsday, that album at one point was remastered. Um, and I remember listening to that version of the album. And initially I was pissed. I was super upset. Um, because there was something lost with the impact of like when the bass hit. Uh, it felt like he was in a hallway recording the record. Um, there was a synergy that just wasn't there with the way that I was introduced to those tracks. Um, and you would think with a remaster, oh, that would mean better, better quality, better everything. But uh, there was something about the, I guess, mystery of the way Doom recorded his work that 
created a synergy that you never questioned the quality. You never questioned, you know, what it was. I mean, he wasn't using the best equipment. He was just using the equipment that worked for him. And everything collectively worked like super well. Um, oh. Over time, what got me to appreciate the remaster was that his work on a basic level was being introduced to more people. Um, do I like that version? No, not at all. Um, but I appreciate the mission that it fulfills because it got more people to listen to his work. Uh, do I prefer that they seek out the original master version? Yes, absolutely. But the idea of it being presented to more people and being exposed to more people, uh, that to me is a, a happiness that I experience because it's like, man, there's more people that know about Doom. There's more people that listen to his music because of this remaster. Um, and again, there's always the original if you have access to them. So, you know, to me, if Silent Hill Remake at its worst becomes uh, the allusion to the MF Doom remaster of Operation Doomsday, it still serves its purpose because it exposes people to a franchise and a game that revolutionized a particular genre of video games and the way that people told stories. And I think you can always still have access to the original Silent Hill 2 if that's the case. Uh, so to me, you know, I sort of feel like I'm willing to experience it. You know, I'm willing to give it a chance and see what they do. Um, and if worst case scenario, it is a remaster that I'm not necessarily like happy with, then I can still be rest assured that more people know about Silent Hill 2. And I think that to me is like the most important thing because if people really care about Silent Hill 2, and they've played the remake, some of them will be curious enough to go back and, and see what they missed in the original. And then that creates another conversation piece among people. So, um, you know, like I said, I, I hope, you know, Konami the best of luck with it, as well as Bloober. Um, and that's just kind of where, like, my head is with it. Oh, that, that was beautifully put. That, that was a great, mm. great comparison. Thanks. Hmm. All right, Absolutely. shall we get into Resident Evil 4? Let's do it. Okay. Let's do it, man. All right, let's change gears. So, okay. Um, yeah, how, uh, how did you guys first experience Resident Evil 4? Uh, I know, J James, you, you talked about that briefly, like, like, like uh, Adam. Did yeah. You, did you play Resident Evil 4? Like, did you, did you get to experience it? back in the day at all not a, not at all no but what 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 did happen was um it was another very similar it's like i said before it was a similar deal with like silent hill just like i saw it like very very like tangentially online but like mm. i never really massively dive dove into it like the like the 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 deepest that i ever really got into it was kind of just like watching again just like little bits of like playthroughs like here and there I only really ended up learning more, much, much more about this over the past like four-ish, five-ish years, just because of again that this good buddy of mine, James, and him just showing me and tell and talking just very, very, very excitedly just about like what it was that Resident Evil like, means to him. 
and then yeah just googling watching youtube videos again and then just actively sort of watching him even like play through the game watching him stream it watching him and my other friend Michelle stream the game too like it's been really cool sort of like watching this kind of through other people but i've yet to have that i guess this like formative like active active actual experience with my with respect with respect to my own like playing i suppose so yeah not played it yet myself but mm -hmm. Like would like to in the future, and yeah, like it just looks really, really cool. Yeah, <laughs> that's so interesting that um that 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 even if people can't play a game, like nowadays they can watch playthroughs. Like that's such an interesting yeah. way to kind of yeah. Uh, you're not preserving the gameplay perfectly, but people are still learning about it. They're getting access to it. It's, yeah. Mm. Okay. Yeah. It's uh, um, it's really interesting how that works. Yeah. Like, uh, people can experience a game uh, in a newer way than what was available when those games came out. You know, nobody could just sit and watch like a stream, right? Like, but now, you know, people can like experience the story through someone else's experience. So it's kind of like, but its I, own. It, it is, but um. It's sort of like just taking something that did exist and then giving it a platform, right? Because yeah. single-player games, like how many single-player games have you played with your buddies, right? Right. It's always like yeah, a, you know, a group of your friends. Maybe you take turns. But you, you, yeah. you know, I, I spent as much time watching people play video games growing up as playing them, you know? Maybe even more time because I, I grew up in a That's big a family, point. right? Mm. Yeah, so I actually think watching video games is quite quite natural. And I mean, of course, nothing beats playing it yourself, but like uh, watching yeah. it does give you a pretty good taste of the game, I think. Yeah. 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 So, it's a fair, fairly visceral experience, even yeah. if you're not playing it. All right, all right. So let's get into that remake then. <laughs> okay. That, this is such a different remake than yeah. the last one. But is it? Like, yeah. it, it's, it's a different game, right? So, like, yeah, it's a different game. It's uh, a different game. I think that it definitely has a different journey narratively, uh, and then like as a player, what you uh, experience, right? So you've got Resident Evil one through three, like very serious survival horror, uh, you know, games inspired by like Ed Wood and like you know, just very like um, very much Ed Wood, George Romero kind of like. Uh, inspirations and a very dark mood um and then you have resident evil 4 which is this b-movie anime influence almost like platinum game game before platinum games was platinum games kind of thing that's quite literally what um, it was. <laughs> yeah yeah so you have this experience that people take from it and they go holy crap this is a great ride i'm playing this cool looking dude he can beat up zombies and he looks cool he says corny lines you know he's got this assistant that's like you know culturally ambiguous she's attractive and cool and he's like doing <laughs> stuff and you know you've got all of these like fixings that make this recipe for uh resident evil 4 and it stands out among uh the collection especially at that time you know before there was a resident evil 5 it was just like holy crap resident evil 4 that was the game that a lot of people you know, talked about in a very different way. So there was almost like a uh, division. It's almost a parallel to how there are Persona 4 fans and then there's Shin Megami Tensei fans. 
like there those are there was like a divide that was kind of uh happening in terms of like what people experienced what's up i'm I'm a persona 2 fan (laughs) so it's like that (laughs) yeah Yeah, so there's definitely like a, a divide that sort of happens so um but the thing is is that like even with that divide uh the Resident Evil 4 fans, you know, they grew and grew and grew and grew. And then the, even some of the people who were like, oh, I don't like this. They eventually were like, you know what, man, this is cool. This is fine. Yeah. Um, so Resident Evil 4 has like a, a huge spotlight on like uh, games at that time. Right. So when it came to a remake, um, one thing that maybe a lot of people don't know is that fans were, you know, retexturizing and like upscaling Resident Evil 4 on their own um, just because it wasn't happening with Capcom at the time you know people were just like hey I want to go back and try to make things look better but like not change anything about the game like just you know in terms of like the story or anything but just I just want the game to look a little bit better and uh, there's a lot of passion that was put into that uh, there were different versions of Resident Evil 4 uh, I believe there's a Resident Evil 4 Otome edition <laughs> Uh, which they did change some of the narrative things. And if you're into that kind of experience, then like, you know, you, you would enjoy it, but uh, you know, nothing on the scale of what Capcom is currently doing uh, has been done. Um, with, I, I just want to say that, real quick, yeah. even the original game, there were many different ports of it, right? Cause it was originally supposed to be a GameCube, GameCube version exclusive and that yep. pissed off so many people. And, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the GameCube version is amazing. By the way, it, it, it actually really has well. better graphics than the, uh, the PS2 version. Than the PS2, yeah. The PS2 version is the one that most people know, right? Yes. Uh, and also yes. an excellent um, game. All the gameplay was preserved. Just, yeah, like little things like his hair didn't move as much. <laughs> Blue Shadow yeah. is kind of controversy there. But, yes. Um, but, uh, and then there was the, the Wii version, which I think a lot of people consider the best version if they've played it. Um, yes. because you could aim with the Wiimote, and that was actually weirdly intuitive. <laughs> it worked really well. Yes. You would think aiming with the Wiimote is supposed to be first person, but it worked really well in this third person game. Um, so that version super fun. And then I think, uh, did, did they do like an HD remaster ever after that? Yes, they did at some point. I'm trying to remember what it came what, out PS3, on. PS3, PS4? Did it? Yeah. Well, they did a re-release for sure because I have yeah. I have the re-release for 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 PS4. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, and I mean it's it's fine. Uh, I think that like that was one of those games that people really wanted to make sure they could get access to. Um, like is any chance that they got, they're like, oh my god, I'm gonna play. It. I need Resident Evil mm. Four. You know, whatever system they had it on, they're like, I I need. I need this game uh, because it, honestly, it's a lot of fun for like a survival horror game. It's like more actiony, obviously, uh, than you know other games in the in the series. But yeah, man, this game was one of those games where like whenever people got a new console, they were like, "Yo, can I get Resident Evil Four on it? Is there a way <laughs> I can play it?" You know, yeah. it was kind of like the same way I look at Street Fighter Alpha Two is the same way that people looked at Resident Evil Four. They were like, "Yeah, I want to buy this system, but can I get?" re4 on it is it possible (laughs) um you know so i mean the game has like a lot of meanings to people um you know like i said for me it was the one that got me into the series um and you know it it's one of those it's one of those things where i feel like 
a lot of people who got into this got into this at a time where Capcom was a bit of a different company than it is now. Um, I think that Capcom still makes good games. I still think they have a lot of talented people there. I just think that they have a different direction in terms of what it is that they're putting out and like why. So seeing Resident Evil 4 being remade, um, especially now, uh, especially with the RE engine, um, it's it's definitely a stamp in time of Capcom becoming a different company, but still wanting to uh, hold dear to what it is that they they feel makes Resident Evil Four what it is. Like there is a tug of war, I think, that is happening with this game, um, and it's it's hard to know like who's gonna win. Um, you know, and, and like I said, I'm just going to go to the first thing that was like a huge, like thing for me that I noticed. Um, does any of you, do any of you remember when they first announced RE4 remake and how that went? Does anybody remember like what they didn't show? Uh, no. Okay. So one of the things that they didn't show was Leon's Face. Oh, I see. Yeah. They they would not show his face. They showed the back of his hair. They showed his jacket, but they did not show his face right away. Um, they they were very adamant about not showing that for at least it was almost uh like a couple months actually that went by where all you saw was the back of his head. And when they eventually did show his face um we saw that it was like an augmented version of his re2 remake face and Mm -hmm. this is the part where some people may not understand and then some people will definitely understand because i kind of briefly mentioned this when we're talking about silent hill 2 leon s kennedy is a bishonen character through and through period Bishonen is like a, a Japanese term for like a beautiful man, right? So he's meant to be this cool, attractive dude that's sort of like a leading, le- leading, le- like a leading man kind of thing where he's like the visual like attraction of the thing, you know, like, like, uh, I don't know, like back in the day, George Clooney used to be that, right? Yeah. I'm sure there's someone else that's, you know, fitting the bill for that now, but there was an aesthetic that Leon had that was tied to, uh, the Bishonen category in manga and like anime and like just Japanese entertainment in general. Um, oh, yeah, and he embodied that. Yeah, all the way back in the P- PS1 game part two. Like he, he yeah. felt like he could have starred in a Tokusatsu series, you know? Yes, yes. This was something that was like at the epicenter of his visual design. So it's incredibly important. It's extremely important. Um, I'm trying to hold back my passion about it as much as I can while I'm talking about <laughs> no, this. No, let it out. Let uh, it out. But, but one of the things... Down, brother. Yeah. But one of the things that happened when he turned around in the new trailer was that I saw that face from RE2 Remake. Because I remember when RE2 Remake came out, I was like, this is a problem. And I was like, but it's not a problem that everybody's going to see. It's only going to be certain people that are going to be like, that's not Leon. And people would be like, no, no, dude, that's Leon. It's like, no, 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 that's not Leon. If you look at his face, yeah. you look at his face in RE2 Remake, 
it's not that it's a bad face. It's not that it's a bad face design, but it is very much rooted in what I like to call a stylistic realism that the RE engine is very good at doing. It is something that is very much fixated on that engine and what it can consistently produce in a way logistically that allows games to come out in a decent, you know, like pipeline, right? So it's not that it's bad, but I remember in RE2 Remake, I was like, man, this, what are they going to do when they do Remake 4? I was like, are they going to make up that he gets surgery or something? Like, what's going to happen to sort of like justify this? So what Capcom did was they, they realized that this was going to be a problem and they realized it was going to be a point of contention. So they said, okay, well, we're going to augment his face a little bit from RE2 Remake as a base to try to make him look like Leon. Honestly, I'm glad that they made the attempt at all. Because they could have easily just said, well, no, this is just what he looks like. It's whatever. But they knew that it was going to be a point of contention. And they knew that it might turn some people off from the game. Um, when I saw his face, I will tell you, just being honest, I was very disappointed. I was just like, what did you guys do to my boy? Like, what is going on here? But, you know, realizing the limitations of what RE Engine is able to do currently... And realizing that this was a compromise that they could come to, it was like, yeah, he was going to look like this, right? So Leon doesn't really look like Leon in RE4. Also, another thing that was like a super surprise, I didn't even realize this. So if you've played Resident Evil 4, Leon has a compressed shirt. He has a compression shirt, right? It's like tactical, right? But it's tight. It's fitting to his body. It communicates a visual shape language of the character. Now the shirt is loose. <laughs> Whoa. These are these are these are they're like very specific changes that are it makes you wonder what the reasoning was for. Because it looks good. Like because it shows the wrinkles and it shows how it forms around his model. But why though? Right? Like that's like the the the, the thing that like I had an issue with. I was like, but why are you making these changes? Right. So you know, you look at the visuals of of Leon. And you go, okay, this is what remake Leon is going to look like. Most people are going to be okay with this, but there are definitely a strong, I would say a strong minority of people that are kind of like, yo, what did y'all do to my boy and why? And that might be enough for people to kind of, I'm not going to say they're not going to buy the game, but they're going to look at the game kind of like, well, what else are you changing in this particular way um there's been a lot of frustration about louis louise's face being what it is because he definitely does not come off as like the suave latin lover dude that he was in resident evil 4 um it's not a bad design but it just doesn't feel like it's louise um i'm not i don't know if i'm in the majority here or not but i kind of liked ada's look in re2 remake in re3 remake rather i like i like that but they redid her face again in RE4. And mm. I, it's almost like she, she looks good. But I'm, I, I don't know like, what the reasoning was for uh, like the, the, the decision to change it. I don't know if it was just like we want to flex more of the RE engine muscle. So this is just like a decision that we're doing. Um, but I just want to say like, if there are complaints with the game that I have, or I don't want to say complaints, I want to say concerns is the visual looks of some of the characters in the game. I think Big Cheese came up looking great. I think he looks awesome. Um, 
Ashley looks like a Silent Three, Silent Hill Three character, which is not mm-hmm. a bad thing. They aged her up a little bit. She looks really cool. Um, I know there's some objections to her '70s fashion sense. I don't know if that's going to be addressed in the game because she definitely has like mod colors and like it looks like her clothes are made out of like uh like carpet shag. But like it's it's interesting that she has like this uh you know design sense that is very much rooted in a particular I, era. So it may be like a story point. I don't know. I, I saw one very I thought on point uh, criticism of of the remake uh, uh, for her on on Twitter. Someone um, it was a really funny exchange. Someone was like. Oh, they they destroyed this character. They took away her iconic assets. They took away her two big iconic assets, and you know, of course, people were like, "Oh, come on, you you perv! You know, you'll get your nude mods." And he was like, "No, what are you talking about? I meant her ears." Because <laughs> <laughs> the guy just loved, like, you know, she had big ears. In, in yeah, she really did. And now she's covering them up. It which... is weird because they did make her like cute, like in her design that her ears were like very prominent. No, I, I actually like covered up. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting. Um, thing to do uh, they also you know they did that to chris redfield too he got big ears in part four and made him yeah. like weirdly mousier and more i don't know like weirdly cute bearish quality in attention to being a he-man right and uh, yeah <laughs> in this one maybe in a way i could kind of see the reasoning that like maybe she's insecure about her ears and right know, she's covering them up because that is actually what a lot of uh a lot of people would do yeah. right exactly yeah. like that would make a lot of sense right like so there's again there's there's like leeway as to why they made some of these decisions right and mm-hmm. again i mean those were a lot of the majority of my concerns was like some of the visual aspects of characters were like severely altered i think leon's probably the largest case just because i feel like there was a there was a meeting at like capcom back in like you know, the late 90s when they were making Resident Evil 4, early 2000s rather, and, you know, there was a decision, like, you know, we're going to make this guy be shown and we're going to, like, work really hard to make a 3D model that can turn and move around and not morph its face and it actually still be, like, an appealing character design. So for that to be somewhat abandoned in 4 Remake was, like, a a disappointment. However, one thing I do want to talk about uh, is... Man, should we talk about? Maybe we should talk about the dog, the dog thing first, because like I feel like that's one of the other concerns that I have. But I think it's been debunked. Um, sure, let's in let's get into Resident it. Evil Four. Yeah, in Resident Evil Four, originally there was a scene where you come up on a dog who is in a bear trap, and it's even if you're not a dog lover, like it's it's painful to see a, a, an animal um, vulnerable, whimpering in pain, right? So it strikes a chord with you as a player, regardless of who you are and what games you play normally, where you go, man, can I save the dog? Because there's no music. There may be, I think there's an ambient track that plays, but I think there's no music on this like stage. So you're just kind of looking at this dog and you hear it whimpering and it's kind of like shaking, trying to like get out of it, wincing in pain. So like you walk up to it and you realize there's a prompt to save the dog. So you save the dog, right? Later on in the game, it becomes something that you kind of, it's almost like karma points, right? Like something happens for you in the game. I know it's an old game. I know we did spoiler stuff for Silent Hill 2, but I feel like it's such a cute thing where I'm like, you know what, man? Like if you go back and you play the original, like you'll see what I'm talking about. Um, but the thing is, is that like there was a video that came out from IGN, I believe, 
where they were implying that the dog is already dead when you get to the dog mm-hmm. and that you can't save the dog. And I remember seeing this on Twitter and I was like, this might be the final straw. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know if I want to buy this game if I can't save the dog. But then I read more about it on Twitter and, you know, someone was saying that it had access to it. They were like, no, 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 you can actually save the dog. Um, so I'm assuming that maybe there's like a time frame you have to sort of learn where you go, oh, okay, if I get to this area by this time, maybe I can save the dog. Like, I'm not sure how it works, but like the idea that like you can still save the dog is very important. I, I think Richmond, you were speaking to some elements about the uh, significance of that too, which I definitely agree with, but like, I'd, I'd like for you to kind of expound upon that if you don't mind. Oh yeah. Um, so, I mean, first off, like I, I hope it's been debunked. I, I don't know. I haven't uh, looked into that too deep. And I also just feel like it's such a strange thing to take out because it's such an iconic scene that I'm, yeah. I'm pretty sure it must still be in there. And I don't know, maybe I just fell for clickbait, but <laughs> just in the interest of uh, discussing the game and what makes it work, like that scene to me was uh, emblematic of what makes Resident Evil uh, special, right? Because you don't, you don't get scenes like that in uh, other survival horror stuff, not even Silent Hill, right? Not, not no. uh, Left for Dead or whatever. Like it works because um, it gives you this like nice, hopeful, wholesome moment in the middle of like all the horror. And then yeah. the, the the way you're rewarded for it later, the callback to it later is so awesome. Like it's so over the top and satisfying. Yes. It makes you want to cheer. And yes. um, I, I think to me, I think that's sort of like that highlights to me how you know you were saying Resident Evil is very influenced by like you know horror movies, right? Like George Romero, obviously. Um, but I think the other secret sauce is that it's also a Tokusatsu okay. series. Yeah. yeah, it's a Tokyo series, right? Because uh, starting with part two, uh, they were written by uh, Noboru Sugimura, who's a, a very like experienced writer. Um, and he wrote a lot of the classic Tokusatsu shows like Kamen Rider Black, uh, Zoo Ranger, which is what Power Rangers was, uh, you know, localized from, uh, Wind Spectre, the Metal Hero series. You know, we were just saying, like, like, um, uh, sorry, I'm blanking. I, I <laughs> the 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 hero in Resident Evil Four, not Chris. It's um, sorry, it's getting late. Uh, Leon. Yeah, Leon. Leon is like a metal hero, <laughs> hero, right? And of um, yeah, so just you know, stuff like saving the dog, and then when it later comes back to save you, like that. That's that optimistic element that 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 totally works with Resident Evil, just because like. The main characters are themselves like these comic book heroes. Like you, they're larger than life, but like that's you. You, you believe that they are right. You believe yeah. that Chris Redfield is a really great dude, and like Leon looks like a lady killer. He's a dashing leading man, but he's also kind of like a little bit goofy, right? He doesn't even yes, you know, <laughs> like he's not actually swathed and like, but he's so heroic, right? And that's 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 actually why people fall in love with him right it's not even that he's so dashing yeah. it's just he's such a good guy and yeah um, yeah, yeah, he, thought, it's, yeah it's it's weird because you when you look at leon you're like well he's this flawless dude how do i relate to him but you but you would hear like you know women and dudes just be like yo leon's the homie because you yeah, know he, 
he would say corny stuff and you're like ah oh, you are human okay like you're not this like super perfect like guy even though he looked super cool and like you know everything he did just you know had a certain like swagger to it yeah um and i feel like that's yeah he's actually scared like to be in these situations yeah. right but he, he he still throws themselves himself into them to to help people that's why he's going to talk about yeah. how we can see that his hand is shaking when he's aiming yeah like oh. uh you, when you see the sight like he kind of shakes a little bit mm. like you can still aim it pretty well really was that uh, part of the original game yeah that was oh, that man, was something you know, that i didn't I noticed. even catch that yeah there are some oh, that's really such a good detail animations in resident evil 4 that I feel like Capcom's probably going to reuse some of them because they did reuse some of the reloading animations from uh, RE4 and RE2 uh, remake. Um, That's amazing. He doesn't want to shoot people. I I never got that because, you know, Chris Redfield, great dude, but he's just going to like bulldoze people. Oh, yeah. He doesn't have anything. He's a bad guy. You're done. Like yeah. he's gonna punch a hole through you if he can. You know what I mean? <laughs> like yeah, a bald but, but, <laughs> yeah. Right. But Leon, um, there's a lot of like human aspects to his character that sort of culminated this experience that people have with him in the original game. I'm not saying that you won't have those experiences with him in for. I think that it's just gonna be a different experience, you know, because I remember playing RE2. And he does motivate himself a lot. He's like, you can do this. Yeah. Because he's scared, you know? And I think the fact, yeah. yeah. And I think the fact that he looks more frail in RE2 also played upon that where you felt it, where you're like, okay, he's a new cop. He's scared. You're scared. So it just adds that layer, right? So it served a purpose Mm -hmm. visually. I just think (laughs) with, uh, I just think with something like RE4, there's like a, it's a different recipe. So I think for remake, they're going to be going for something a little bit different. Um, he does say some corny shit in the trailer, and it is fantastic. And I and it, and it made me happy because when you're looking at the remake trailer, it does have an overtly serious tone. And then when they show gameplay, uh, he shoots like a a lantern or something over a cow, and the cow catches on fire and like runs at the ganados. And like when he runs away, he says, "Bill me for the damages later." And I'm like, "Okay, we 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 got real Leon here. Like we've got, you know, he's 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 here." So I think I think the thing with remake is that there's going to be a certain core set of people that expect Leon to look a certain way and expect certain things to be a certain way. But I think that they are, I think that they're attempting to find a middle ground between having the essence of Resident Evil Four original, but also tethering it to resident evil village because i do remember in early development it was announced that they want to tie together re4 and re village somehow uh story-wise and even if you look at re village that game definitely has the look of resident evil 4 like that game has like visual elements that are very like resident evil 4 so i think what they're trying to do is find like a a middle ground to tether those games together but still pay homage to you know what resident evil 4 really is so um i think that the game will be fine i will always have my visual gripes about leon but it's not gonna change like i'm always gonna be like yo would you do my boy's face but <laughs> but it is one of those things where if you look at the culmination of the work that they put into the environment design 
you look into the work that they're putting into the overall look and feel of it, it's definitely paying credit where credit is due. And I feel like those things will create a collective experience that is fun. But more importantly, they're addressing gameplay issues. So Leon has a new mechanic and he literally can parry. It is the most anime thing I've seen in the game so far because you can parry the chainsaw with his knife. That's a big deal. And because the chainsaw is... was instant death. If that guy <laughs> it was instant death. That, that was yeah. the key visual uh, for, for the game when, when the, the yes, first trailers were, were, were dropped. It was like, hey, you know, it was zombies can... before. Now it's like Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, one thing I will note about sound design, and I hope that they keep, the chainsaw ladies make a certain sound that sounds like a possessed zipper. And I certainly hope that that weird sound makes it <laughs> in this game because it is the most terrifying sound you can hear when someone's coming at you. Um, so I hope that that stays. But like I said, I think overall, I think the game collectively is going to be great. Um, I'm looking forward to breaking it just because I know that that parry is going to have like invulnerability frames. And I know that people are going to be able to like exploit that for speed runs and stuff like that so um i think the game most is going to be fun but it definitely was a big concern when i saw leon not looking quite his self however his hair his hair asset is impeccable <laughs> i i'm very impressed with the way his hair looks in the game like for sure like one thing i really just want to mention well, sorry, one thing I really just want to mention too, actually, just uh, re-watching some extended gameplay. Um, I'm really glad that he obviously got to keep his kicks. Like, that's a really huge part of, like, fall. Oh, yeah. And, of course, like, the way in which he kind of moves with yeah. this sort of, like, new martial arts kind of, like, swagger to him. Like, I really enjoy that. The fact that he's just actively, not just, like, sidekicking people out of the way, but he's, he's spinning a little bit with it. He's having, like, kind of, like, a bit of fun with respect to actively protecting himself, which is a marked difference from how he was, you know, back in, you know, RE2 for example but i mean like yeah it, it's a really cool thing to just watch that in this uh in such a highly well-defined like sort of like sentiment i actually like it. it it's really cool yeah yeah you know one thing you did you play the gamecube version richmond yeah that, that was the first version i played that was the first one you played right okay yeah. do you remember ashley having a certain ability in that game that was not in any of the other versions uh, I, 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 you know, I'm drawing a blank. Wait. So in the GameCube version, when you use there's a there's a scene where you use Ashley, right? Mm -hmm. Um, when there was an enemy at the door that she needed to open, there was a prompt that would allow you to suplex. Suplex, yeah. Oh yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I certainly hope. Wait, wait, they took that, that out of the other ones. Yes, it was not in the PSD version. What? Why would you remove that? It was not in the PSD version. You could not suplex zombies. And I was so upset because I remember people <laughs> telling me, dude, you can suplex people with Ashley. It's so cool. I was like, Ashley? I was like, that's insane. I want to see that. But you can't do it yeah, in the PSD they, version. They subverted the whole, like, annoying, you know, uh, yeah. damsel in distress. Damsel in distress like, trope. And yep. just like, oh, God, you know, I gotta, I gotta babysit this character, and it's like, no, she can, yeah. <laughs> she can do, yeah, she can handle she can herself. Take care of herself. Yeah. Uh, and and what she would do is, when they were at the door, she would push the door open, like really aggressively, like with both both arms, and then just suplex the <laughs> the enemy. And and I felt like it was such a cool touch because you know in PS4 in PS2 versions, you know, like Ashley just comes off as this annoying girl that can't do anything, and then even mm. when you play her. 
she's limited to what she can do to kind of thwart off enemies. So like her having a more aggressive like mode to work in was pretty cool just to see her be able to do something to fend for herself. So I'm hoping that that's something that's in the remake and I'm pretty sure that's they're probably going to give her more to do. Yeah. Um, you know, cause times have changed, so they're not going to make her as vulnerable. Um, so she'll have something like spicy to do, but I just, I loved the fact that she was suplexing zombies though. Like that was <laughs> fantastic. Like, yeah. um, you know, so again, I think collectively I'm mostly okay with what I've seen. Again, I have my concerns. Like, I definitely have my concerns I, about Leon's visually. I, I gotta say, I actually don't mind his his face myself because uh, um, I so the first shot I saw of it wasn't even the trailer. It was you know that screenshot that has been setting Twitter ablaze, where like he's, he's it's a full yeah. body shot and he's looking yoked now. Like, um, <laughs> and f- but from that angle though, I actually didn't even notice that it was uh, still the face from from part two i think at that angle it kind of highlighted that like oh yeah like they're taking a even more stylized approach uh to this game because you know re2 Mm -hmm. like was a tiny bit stylized but you know it's very definitely like everyone was scanned from an actor and i feel like in this one um something i really enjoy about it is they they're really stylizing them even more i feel like they're not just scanning they're they're kind of editing them turning them into more iconic comic booky when, when i say comic booky i don't mean like self-shaded i just mean like when you look at the game it's not supposed to be photo real right they they, they kind of yeah. embrace that it is a cg game and it's a comic book logic world where you know you can push kick someone and send them flying across the room and like yeah. scattering like you know 10 other people and it's awesome and um yeah no they definitely made changes i did i i would like it if he was even more you know stylized like much more of a a manga look like the older games right like like, yeah i don't uh, someone might be listening and think like oh manga it's not anime like it's very like seinen manga like realistically drawn manga looking right i would love it if they'd go back to that but I, i feel like they did bring back uh some of that you know yeah because there's definitely angles in uh cutscenes where it looks like he has like some of that visual shape language in his face um because they definitely augmented his face from the existing re2 remake model that is not the same like they definitely did some changes to it um oh for sure so yeah. uh, yeah so i definitely appreciate that i think if there's one thing that would help a lot is if they got rid of the butt chin like he's got like an bison chin <laughs> kind of thing going on, and it's just like if you smooth that out, I think a lot of people will be okay. Where they're like, you know what, fine, this is cool. My Bishon doesn't have butt chin. Yeah, Bishon. Yeah, Bishon doesn't have butt chin. Not my, not my Leon. You know what I mean? Like it's it's one of those like little things. But again, I think that the the group of people who are like concerned about that are fairly small like in in comparison to like the majority of people who are going to play this game regardless but i just felt like as someone who likes to draw beautiful people that i had to at least use a platform to express my <laughs> concern Your enjoyment and concerns. about 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 him having his bc level be what it needs to be so you know like i said i'm, I'm gonna play the game regardless i'm gonna explore it and have fun with it and enjoy it and i look forward to playing it um but uh yeah like i said those, my my concerns like in the bigger scheme of things are, are very minor um i'm excited that people get to again play resident evil 4 
I am excited for people to get a chance to experience Capcom at a different time a little bit uh, than where they are right now. Um, I think that there's going to be some serious tone in there, but I, I do feel like there is some campy sauce waiting. Because, I mean, they made sure that we heard him say, build me for the damages later, as he's running away from a flaming cow attacking zombies. So, <laughs> like, that's, you know... To, it was they know like what they're doing, I think. Yeah, Capcom yeah. was like, we got you. It's cool. We got you, man. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm excited for it. And I hope that the flaming zombie jumps out of the refrigerator again. I, I hope that that's still there. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. just imagine. Every, yeah. Hold on. Oh, oh, just, gonna, gonna, just, just every Resident Evil needs that scene that 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 that'll make people just throw the controller down in shock. They need that jump scare. Yeah. Yeah, they need it. Absolutely. I was just going to say, just to mention very quickly, like Resident Evil actually does that have a um a manga actually it does a lot a few people probably will know about it and i funnily enough i bought this for again that same friend james and he already had it like which is kind of funny <laughs> as well but they did but they do actually have a saying in manga it's called um resident evil the Maha mahua desire or even or even i think it's also it has a couple of names actually i think it was either that or the mahua incident but it sort of focuses on like a series of like cannibalistic homicides and murders that occurred at like a christian like academy called like, the mahua school and like it's just really really interesting to to read about it talks about like students infected with like a c virus like a bioweapon developed by the family and like neo umbrella and like it's really really cool stuff and i think that people should check it out it came out like in 2012 i wow. believe and uh, yeah it's a it's it's cool stuff yeah, yeah, thanks for uh, yeah, uh, thanks for posting the screens in the the chat. It looks amazing. It's drawn beautifully. Yeah, it's pretty dope. It's very uh, very Gantz looking. That's the, I think Gantz yeah, must actually. have been a big influence on it. Oh, I'm sure. I'm just yeah. looking at yeah. Oh, sorry, yeah. sorry. 2013. Sorry, my mistake. The 8th yeah. of May 2013 was when it was originally published. But yeah, a lot of people seemingly um, I never really hear it get mentioned, but like a lot of people do know about it. But like yeah. It's just a, it's an interesting thing, you know, I, I, uh, I think that people should talk about it more. There's a couple of other yeah. things, for example, there's like Biohazard, like the Heavenly Island, or like Umbrella, Umbrella Chronicles, like Prelude to the Fall like as well. Like these do like exist, but like, I guess the one that I know the most about would be like that Mahawa Desire one, because I bought that for my friend and I read it as well. So yeah, it's I cool stuff. Didn't yeah. know about that. It looks great. Hell yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. Like like a lot of times, you know, the 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 tie-in manga. Sometimes they're just like, eh, let's just like put something out, right? But th this looks like a this artist had something to prove, and it, it looks like a you know, it's actually expanding on the uh, the universe. Here. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, it looks great. Yeah, it, it's it's super super cool. It's it's really really cool. Yeah, shout out to uh, Naoki uh, Serizawa as well. Big big uh, big shout. Yeah. Yeah, it looks great. Mm -hmm. Oh man! All right, should we uh, wrap things up? Yeah, let's, no, let's just wrap it up. up. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I think it's been really interesting comparing uh, these two remakes from um, these two. I mean, they're they're the two pillars of uh, survival horror, but they're they're very different, right? Right? Because on the one hand, oh, yeah, for sure. Resident Evil classic jump scares, zombies always had that sci-fi toku element. Um, and then it eventually morphed into like just a over the top like action series, right? But then on the other hand, you have Silent Hill, like just the uh, just the most austere, 
like a video game series ever, right? It's just it's a super, really good way to put it. Super minimalist. It's all of that mood tone. The combat is just there to like kind of make you feel helpless. <laughs> you know? Yeah, like, I, I really think that's the, the main reason that it's there. Super tone and narrative driven. And um yep. yeah, I just I I think it kind of highlights how like I think because Silent Hill is so, so story and narrative and vibe driven that it, it is just way harder between the two to remake, right? Because it's like... Oh, for sure. Yeah. It was so perfect, uh, just exactly as it was. And mm -hmm. like, yeah, I'm sure you can make some slight quality of life improvements. Um I don't know how what, how many improvements you could make to the gameplay though, you know, whereas like with Resident Evil, it's more of a playground, like especially part four, where it became like just this amazing action game. Like there's a lot more to expand on there. Um, and, and, and I don't, it just, people are not going to be as picky with that one. Yeah. So I, I no. just, um, I didn't think about it going into this chat. I just thought, oh, you know, let's talk about these remakes. And then I was like, man, some games are just way, way more difficult, <laughs> way more pressure on you to remake yeah. than others. Yeah. 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 Silent Hill 2 for sure has like the, the, the most pressure between the two. Uh, yeah. And, you know, we can only hope that the changes that they are making are, you know, suitable and, you know, make for you know a fun experience for for new people i mean yeah. I, I i'm that's all i can do is just really try to maintain my optimism about it like that's kind of where i am on that with with it yeah i wish the game well and i know we were um sounded a bit <laughs> sour pusses about it earlier but i do i do hope the game uh, is good of course and i hope yeah. it uh, does well yeah yeah definitely yeah. no wishing failure over here we just want to see something interesting intriguing fun and cool that we can enjoy so hope that everyone else gets those same vibes too yeah yeah all right so um let's wrap things up uh yeah uh thanks thanks for listening you made it to the end of this podcast this this one went on way longer than i thought which is you'd think i'd be used to that yeah. but it's always surprising it's always like, new always like, new i you know it'll be like 30 minutes it'll shoot the breeze about this and it's like oh there's actually a lot to discuss here um but hmm. it's always always a pleasure to uh meet with you guys always. talk late late into oh, yeah. the evening uh, for me or into the afternoon or early morning for you guys um <laughs> and uh yeah to our listeners uh thanks for listening um you know let us know what you thought uh hit us up on twitter uh let, let, let us know if we missed anything if there there was anything you you, you want to talk about more uh, you can follow us online at art eater podcast that's a-r-t-e-a-t-e-r -E -E uh, podcast um and uh yeah if you follow us there that's when you'll hear about the latest updates you know you'll know when the latest podcasts go out and just um yeah if you want to catch up on the old ones head over to arteater.com that's a-r-t-e-a-t-e-r.com click on the podcast section and you'll see uh, all the dozens of previous podcasts that we have recorded and if you want to follow me uh, your host, Richmond, you can follow me on Twitter at Richmond Lee. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-D underscore L-E-E. <clears throat> I'm uh, always, <laughs> I'm on there way too much. Uh, if you if you shoot me a line, I'll definitely see it and we might end up talking. <laughs> so um, yeah, but I, I have fun on there. I've met so many cool people. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I just love talking about games and 
and art. Really, it's all about art. It's all about just the cool art and, and, and stories and experiences that we can share with each other. And yeah, happy to do this every every week with you guys. So yeah, oh, let, let the listeners know um, you know what you're up to, how they can follow along. All right. Well, uh, for me, I'm James Stanley, the resident fighting game expert here at Art Eater. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. I'm starting to get infected by uh, whatever Richmond has because I, I find myself on there a little more so often sorry. than normal <laughs> these days. Uh, you know, but you can find me on there at, at uh, Beefy Kunoichi. That's B double E F Y underscore K U N O I C H I. Uh, I talk a lot about fighting games, um, vaporwave, anime, just stuff that influences me, fashion, all types of things that I find to be cool. Um, I'm actually going to be talking a little bit more on a project that's pretty dear to me. It's a part-time shuffle, which I'm looking to turn into a fighting game. Um, I had a lot of really positive reception, some of the work the work that we've been doing on it uh, that I showed on Twitter. So, uh, you know, look forward to more of that. Uh, I also have a uh, Patreon uh, where I show tutorials for how I do my illustrations and some behind-the-scenes work on Part-Time Shuffle as well. If you're interested in any of those things and supporting those things, I'm always greatly appreciative of that. Uh, you can reach me on Patreon at patreon.com slash beefykunoichi. Uh, that's B-E-E-F-Y-K-U-N-O-I-C-H-I. Um, again, you know, you'll find great art illustrations and insight on my uh upcoming projects there so uh if that's your kind of thing uh you know definitely give me a shout what's up everybody it's adam pleased to be here once again as always it's your favorite game level designer pixel artist and also international type on the fire it's always great to be back with the crew i had a great time with this one i actually didn't think also like was rich from there i didn't think it would go on for quite as long as it did but i can't really glad that we actually got all of our thoughts out it was nice to hear what you guys had to say and also to add my scent in there as well i'm really hyped for the upcoming games and it'll be nice to you know have a good conversation about them once they actually do get released but yeah like i go by aj on twitter you can find me over there at aj mattis that's a-j-m-a-t-t-i-s I love to retweet and share all kinds of cool art and creative projects that I see. If anyone wants or needs any pixel art-related work or help, I'm active at the moment, so please get in touch. With respect to my own projects, I've got a couple of things, so a couple of really good um, movements on some things of my own, actually, that are upcoming. For example, even working on some new things in a different medium that I'll speak about more so in the upcoming months, which will be a lot of fun. But yeah, I've got, a, I've got some good stuff cooking and that I've had going for a little while now, but it's uh, finally really nice to be able to have some actionable headway that I can actively show off soon, so that'll be really fun. Um, yeah, so if you liked anything that I had to say today, you could drop me a follow over there at Twitter. That's once again AJMATIS, A-J-M-A-T-T-I-S. And if you want to just drop me a message, drop me a line, just to shoot me a DM. I'm always happy to chat and get to know everyone else that listens through to the podcast. But even if people just want to drop off nice messages, that happens every now and again, and it's really sweet when that happens. So if you want to say anything, I'm not going to bite anyone's head off, just come on through, and uh, yeah, we'll see what we can do. I had a really good time, so everybody, take care, stay safe, We'll see you next time and uh, keep on being prepared for the Art Eater podcast because you know we've got the good stuff coming. So, yeah, see you guys around. Take care, everybody. All right, take care, guys. Have a good one. Bye. Stay safe out there. <laughs> outro music, outro.